with Counselor Mandy Bird. Here, you'll learn practical tools for navigating your losses and hear inspiring real-life stories from courageous people who have moved through their losses and found hope, their own authenticity, and how to give back to the world. And now, your host, Counselor Mandy. Hi, this is Counselor Mandy Bird. Welcome to Finding Hope. And I am so thrilled today. I am so, so excited. We have um, a very special guest, a woman that I have utmost respect for, love her spirit, love her work. Hey, Evangeline, thank you for being on Finding Hope. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And as always, I just... And so happy, happy, happy that our producer is with us, Cindy Bolero. Hey there, Cindy. Hey, I'm happy, happy, happy to be here too. And I'm very excited and happy to introduce our guest today, Evangeline Weiss. And this is a little bit about her. As a white, queer, Jewish, anti-racist, Evangeline has been ruining Thanksgiving since 1977. A social change instigator with a twinkle in her eye, Evangeline has over 20 years of community building and organizational development experience, integrating racial and gender justice into organizational culture and impact. Evangeline facilitates coaching circles and training programs to sustain leaders on a path toward greater wholeness, intentionality, and purpose. Evangeline spent the first 10 years of her career managing volunteers and staff in HIV AIDS service organizations and currently facilitates transformational change through her consulting practice Beyond Conflict and her workshop Finding Freedom. Evangeline is a wife, mother, artist, and justice worker, and she is grateful to call Greensboro, North Carolina home. And welcome to the show. Well, I want to say I'm so, so thrilled to have you on with us. I mean, the work that you're doing is so important, so essential, so needed. And I want to say for our listeners that a couple of things to bring this all together before we launch into our conversation is that my great passion is definitely around helping us find meaning and understanding how our grief truly helps us when we dig down for those gifts. And I believe so wholeheartedly that truly, you know, this work for me is about taking shame out of our grief so that we can discover our authenticity as we search for these gifts through our heartbreaks and really take us into solidarity or giving back to the world. That truly is a summary of my great passion and what Finding Hope is about. So having the opportunity to interview leaders, leaders like you, Evangeline, to really talk about the great heartbreak in your own life and how that catapulted you towards your authenticity and towards solidarity in the world, I think is such a blessing for our listeners today around 
um, the work that you're doing around racial and gender justice. So I'm going to be quiet. I would love to hear a snippet. There's so much to say about an individual's life, um, but to really give our listeners an opportunity to hear about a part of your story, your heartbreak that catapulted you towards your calling, your authenticity, and giving back to the world. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. It's that feeling when you get asked the question that you've always wanted to be asked, you know? Um, I, <laughs> yes. Yes. I, it's interesting because I spend a lot of time in the present doing a lot of work now. And recently I have gone back to kind of what the origin story is for my passion about teaching about race and sort of giving, giving white people the opportunity to reflect on how stuck we can feel sometimes in our whiteness and not knowing what is the right thing to do? How should I show up? Why is this so painful? And I was taken back to a story um, that started for me around fifth grade. My parents had moved back to the United States and they sent me away to summer camp. And I went with my little sister with two little white girls and I'm in a tent. And we had just moved. We had been living in France and um, in France, there were a lot of Nigerian immigrants and a lot of black Africans in the south of France as part of the cultural mix of people that I was familiar with and aware of. And when I got to this camp in Lakeville, Connecticut, 10 years old, and I show up in my bunk with my trunk and the camp counselor's there with the the clipboard and she's checking names off. And there's a little black girl in the bunk and I can't remember what she said her name was, but they introduced me to her and she had a Nigerian name. And here I am with my cultural context and who I was in the world. And I said, oh, are you Nigerian? And she burst into tears and all the adults looked completely mortified and everyone kind of freaked out. And in my little 10 year old body, I was like, what's happening? Like, that's a totally normal question in my world. I didn't have the race context of like the United States. I didn't have any understanding, but I knew I had done something that was completely upsetting to the adults and the people around me. And the little girl burst into tears and people were talking about racism. And I was like, okay, this is, this is hard. This is weird. And I had a, I had a tough time that summer finding my way in the peer group because of this, this gaffe that I made the first day of summer camp. And for me, that story is kind of the archetypal, like, white, innocent, ignorant, don't understand, mm-hmm. haven't had, mm-hmm. haven't had like the mentorship or teaching of adults to like hold space for that breakdown. And it, it, it's, it's in some ways weird because here I am 53 years old, right? So like literally 43 years gone by. And I feel like I am trying to equip adults <laughs> with the skills and the mindset and the compassion to be able to show up differently for my 10 year old self. Mm, mm. Oh, wow. 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 So from, I mean, the very beginning of your life, it's, it's incredible to me how life was um, sculpting you to do this work and how you chose it. I mean, it chose you and you chose it. It's really phenomenal. And, and, what a challenging choice and, and and such an incredibly rich, meaningful choice again and again and again. Um, yeah. 
I mean, there's so much to really unpack and, and share about that story. I mean, what, what would you say, you know, you know, really going from that empowering story forward? I mean, what really, what really broke your heart open, do you think, during that time? What did it well, introduce I, you to? I think that the, the silence is what broke my heart. So I, you know, in my bio, Cindy just read, I've been ruining Thanksgiving since 1977. You know, I, I grew up in Westchester County, north of New York City. It's one of the wealthiest places in the country. And I remember walking around the, like, predominantly white strip malls of Westchester County as a teenager, a young person, and wondering, like, I'm, I, I, re- I really remember feeling like I was walking on bones. Like there were dead people under the parking lots. There were dead people under the movie, the movie theater. There were dead people everywhere underground because, you know, we're learning about genocide in school. We're learning about the Iroquois. We're learning about the people whose land this is. We're learning about um, the Holocaust as a Jew, learning about what happened to my people in, in Europe. And no adult seemed ready to talk about racism, like contemporary racism. So, I remember being a very young person and walking around thinking, what is all this silence about? Like, these are important, pressing concerns. People died. We took over their land. And then we get together and we, like, eat turkey and we celebrate family, which is beautiful. Nothing wrong with turkey, nothing wrong with family. But where's the other side? It didn't, it felt out of balance to me that we were, we were sort of celebrating here we are in the United States, but we were not recognizing colonialism we weren't recognizing racism and of course as a 13 year old i don't think i had quite this language about it but there was something about the un- the discomfort of adults and it, it just fascinated me it was like in my family my parents were more ready to talk about sex than they were to talk about racism and that yeah. really struck me yeah yeah who i mean here <laughs> i i mean it it's thrilling to me to hear these descriptions and it stirs me up. It's this, um, I, and I imagine a lot of people feel this way. I mean, I feel a ton of anxiety. I feel this incredible fascination. I feel frightened. And, and when I listen to you and in that, I know you from the past, the amount of love that, that, circulates through your being. I mean, you are like a, a, a sun burning of love. I mean, you truly are coming from such a, such a place of, um, you know, helping people like the name of one, your, one of your workshops, find freedom and, and for transformation. Um, right. So in, in today's world, you know, what, what I see is how afraid people are to talk about loss, how afraid people are to talk about grief. And this is where I feel like our work intersects is, you know, what you're speaking about is so full of grief, is so full of pain, is so full of suffering, it's so full of discomfort. It's also so full of gorgeous beauty, on the other hand. But, but what what do you find today? I mean, with everything that's gone on this past year, I mean, are you, are you seeing people 
any more open than when you were that, you know, 13 year old, you know, disturbing Thanksgiving or less open. I'm just so fascinated by what are you experiencing today? Yeah, no, I think that's a great, a great question. I mean, I think we've had a sort of polarization in the country. So I want to, I want to name a couple of things. Like one thing is that, you know, for me, my grief as a white woman is that I grew up in ignorance. I did not grow up with enough education about the hardships of racism, anti-blackness, colonialism. I, I was sort of sent out into a multiracial world without the tools and the clarity of what it means to be in a white skin body. So I'm holding wow. that as like, there's no, there's a responsibility that young white people come to at some point of like, Hey, I need to make sense of this because you know, maybe I'll go off to college. Someone will teach me some things in college. Maybe I'll get a job and I'll be mentored by a boss. But it's sort of like, how are we helping white people have a racialized sensibility? And I feel some responsibility as an adult, as a mother, as a neighbor, that, that structural racism is a plague in the United States. And it's still, you know, it's manifesting in lots of complicated and different ways today than it did 100 years ago or 400 years ago. Um, so I'm holding that. I'm holding the grief of like a white woman seeing white young people unprepared to be effective in a multiracial world. I'm also holding that many white people in the last few years have gotten incredibly catalyzed and organized. Hundreds of thousands of white people demonstrating, joining with black and brown people, wanting to do, wanting to see justice, wanting to see a better United States, wanting to see um, more equity in the workplace, more equity in the police department. There's a lot of energy happening for white people who are getting educated and want to do better. And the, the third kind of circle that I'm seeing is this scared, entrenched kind of old guard of white people who believe that talking about race is, is the problem, that when we talk about race, we create the conflict. When we name race, we're making it about race. We're, we're reaffirming racism by speaking about race, which I completely disagree with, but I do think there's a sort of smaller, maybe in my hopeful heart, a circle of white people who want to hold on to their whiteness, don't want to investigate it, don't want to take responsibility for their ancestors, and want to stand in the, I'm white, it's not my fault, there's nothing that you can do about that, let's move on. And that is obviously a, a more problematic place and a place that I, I want to engage. But I think I spend most of my time in those first two circles working with people who want to do better, who want to show up, who recognize that there's a, there's a sort of um, invitation to um, become more self-aware and more responsible as a white person. I want to say that I'm so... I'm just deeply moved by what you're sharing. I mean, it, it touches my heart, um, like in my gut right now. I mean, I just, I'm having these visceral responses. I feel so awake hearing you speak and so touched and so grateful, just so, just so damn grateful that you, um, have been, that you chose, you listened to the call and you chose it and you went for it. And, um, I want to say that. And I want to respond that I 
I love this language. Um, I always learn from you. I always have. I remember I was thinking back, um, you speaking to me um, about white privilege. It was the first time I'd ever heard that term. And it may have been like around, you know, 2000 and um, three, no, wait a minute, maybe 2005 or maybe seven, 2006. Anyway, it was the first time. I mean, you really brought that into my world. I mean, that term, I had never heard it. I didn't know what it meant. And I just, I mean, I just remember being like mouth hanging open, like, oh my gosh, you know, like, wow, like this Mm -hmm. is something I need to like, really wake up to and um if i'm going to be you know an open-hearted loving being on this planet um i love what you said about as a white person your grief the heartbreak you feel about you know growing up in ignorance and not being prepared for a multiracial world that that's incredible um and i want to ask you i mean what there's so much to say about this. And at the end, we're going to talk about where people can find you around doing your finding freedom workshop. Um, but what, I mean, when you, for white people that want to do better, I mean, I, I, I know that this is a, there's a lot to say. Do you have one or two ideas that you could share with us and in, in the limits of today's time around what is something that white people can do better. Absolutely. So I'm going to, I'm going to be in, uh, hopefully it's okay. You'll indulge me three things. So the first thing is just recognizing that we're white and that that whiteness has significance for other white people and for people of color. And to just recognize in our bodies, if that makes us feel ashamed or that makes us feel defensive or that makes us feel frustrated, but that it matters. And that pushing our whiteness away is a, is a subtle form of racism. Not wanting whiteness named is a subtle form of racism. So just the language of saying, like, as a white mother, like, as a, as a white radio, uh, podcast producer, as a white yeah. podcast host. So naming yeah. whiteness and doing it and, and developing a kind of sense of self about, like, how does it feel to name your own whiteness? So that would be my first, mm-hmm. my first piece. Um, and having some humility about it, right? It's not like I'm naming my whiteness to say how awesome I am. I'm naming my whiteness to say I'm part of a multiracial reality as a racialized person. Um, the, the second thing that I would say is, and I mean, I'm going to say it in a very extravagant way, and then people can sure. extrapolate to like a more reality-based way, but like taking a look at what books are on your bookshelf, what podcasts are in your Spotify, what music you're listening to, what books you're reading, what TV shows you're watching on Netflix, and and panning race. How much do I follow people of color on Instagram? How much do I follow people of color? Um, How much am I engaging with media that's POC related, black and, and people of color related? So, you know, back in the day, I used to say, when you go to Blockbuster Video, what video are you getting off the shelf? But now, obviously, mm-hmm. we're long past that. But, like, how am I going to make sure that at least one book a month or two books a month are going to be by authors of color? How am I taking in the perspectives of people of color? And how do I commit to doing that? For example, when I give a gift to any of the kids in my 
universe, I give a book that is by a, uh, an author of color. I'm trying to mm-hmm. saturate my, my white friends' communities and bookshelves and Netflix queues with, with stuff that's, that's not about white people, just as a way to deepen my cultural understanding of other communities. So that would be thing number two. And then thing number three is having the skill to um, recognize when a microaggression happens. A microaggression is when I accidentally say the wrong thing. And I think white people, in my experience, we can get very flustered. We have a hard time apologizing. We get very defensive. But if a person of color ever calls me in or calls me out and says, hey, that hurt, that felt like racism, that felt like your whiteness showing, my job as a white person is to receive that, as a, that, that sculpting as a gift. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for letting me know. Thank you for trusting me with that information. And then I can go find another white person to say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did this thing. But like, how do I how do I appreciate that sculpting and, and be grateful for it and continue to build trusting relationships with people of color? Because if when people of color in our lives tell us that we have had a, taken a misstep, that is such a beautiful opportunity to practice humility and be curious and think about like, how did that happen? What was I thinking? And, and offer a clean apology. I'm so sorry that that landed on you that way. And I think sometimes white people can go to my intention. I didn't mean that. And I mean, you know that this happens between white people, but I think when it happens across race, white people are even more amped, more defensive. And I would just mm-hmm. love to call in the like soothing, gentle voice of it's okay accept it, be grateful for the trust they offered you by speaking their truth to you, and apologize. And those, those are my three things. Those are incredible, incredible, clear, where we really can take action, uh, things that we can truly do that, that help us confront um, the, the subtle and not those subtle forms of racism that we certainly, for, for me as a white woman, have been, you know, it's it, been indoctrinated. I've grown up in. Um, and I really, I was thinking about what you were saying about microaggressions. And I love what you're saying about truly, I mean, anything in life, we're displaying our leadership and especially around something so essential when we're not defensive. I love what you're saying about, you know, remaining calm, offering a clean apology and going and then and talking to our white friends to say, I can't believe I did that as a, as the place to express our grief and our sorrow and, and not, and not burdening, not burdening our friends of color. Is that really yeah. what you mean? Yes, that's, that's exactly right. Like the, the person of color is not there to make you feel better. The person, yeah. of color, I mean, of course, this varies. I mean, we are in different levels of relationship with people of color, but overwhelmingly, we sometimes want to be that good white person who gets forgiven for their gas. And I think there's even a little racism in that. Like, I want this person of color to like anoint me the good white person. And yeah. that's where I think we can get we can get tripped up. And I love that you're calling it grief, because it is grief. And if I had yeah. been getting called in when I was 20 when I was 30 and developing these skills and if there was more in the atmosphere that was educating me I probably wouldn't be making so many mistakes right in my 40s and 50s but 
but we're like little we're like little lambs out there trying to make our way and yeah. we can be like it, you know we can come across much more violent than little lambs right but i think emotionally we are not prepared for being called in and i think that yes it is it is not the person of color's job to make you feel better it's their job to speak their truth and we offer apology and then we can go find other white folks to process our pain or feeling misunderstood or why didn't she understand where I was coming from? Like that person of color doesn't necessarily need to hold all that with us and expecting it of them is unfair. I love this. And I'm here to tell you, I know I have made that mistake. There is no question in my 54 years of living that I have burdened my friends of color um, with my grief over racism. I am certain I have done that. And this is something that I'm so grateful to learn. Um, because, you know, for me, if we're not, if I'm not evolving and growing as a human being, um, and this is this time in history, I mean, this is where white folk need to evolve. There's no doubt about it. There's no question. I mean, the planet mm-hmm. is screaming for it screaming for it um and you know that third um that that third circle you spoke about with the old guard i mean you know i i think that you know there may be some folks and i'm interested to hear what you think about this from your expertise in your work i mean there may be some folks in the old guard that we really can reach white folks who are wanting to do better that you can reach. And then there are some in the old guard that I don't think we can reach and and that that's not a good use of our energy. I mean, what do you think about that? Yes, I think it's really important. You know, sometimes I use the language of invest, divest. So, um, you know, we have to decide, like, where do we want to invest energy? Where do we not? But I I will say my my co-trainer for Finding Freedom, Carrie, Carrie Points, she always reminds the group, she always reminds all of us that you're not just giving feedback to your uncle or your grandpa, that those cousins and nieces and nephews, they're sitting on the stairs listening. Mm. So even even if I don't think grandpa can hear that that joke didn't work for me or the N-word hurts my feelings or I don't appreciate immigrants being referred to that way or whatever it is that I'm saying to grandpa, I'm not just saying it to grandpa because there's lots of little ears and it's really good for those little ears to go, oh, there's another way to think about those folks. There's another way to do this. So on the one hand, I do think we need to make those decisions about when and where we're going to say something and every single person listening to this is their own judge of what risk is worth taking. I cannot judge you for speaking up or not speaking up. You cannot judge me for speaking up or not speaking up. Judging other white people is not racial justice work. So we have to be super respectful of the, of the choices that people make, the risks that people are willing to take And I think only you can decide, is this someone that I feel like I want to tug on their their shirt sleeve and say, hey, we can do better than this. I love you and you're not looking your best self right now. Mm -hmm. There's a different way to do this. Or is this somebody that I just need to keep it polite, stay safe, 
say thank you so much, I'm out, <laughs> you know? And like having that gentleness, that kindness with a 10-foot pole, you know? And I think it's okay to not take on every single person that we come across. We all have to be the judge of like, is this, is this an investment I want to make? I, I think that is amazing feedback that we all individually have to decide for ourselves and, and taking the judgment out of it, of, of judging ourselves. Um, and it, again, it's taking the shame out of it, isn't it? Um, right. Will you share with us about your Finding Freedom Workshop? I'm fascinated. Tell me about this because I think that there are going to be people that hear our conversation today that white people who want to, you know, learn and who want to, I love that language, want to do better. Right. Yes. Um, So Finding Freedom got started in 2017. And it's a five-week course for white women, and we use that we use those terms. Um, they're kind of messy terms. So, white gender queer people are welcome. Biracial people are welcome. But if you were if you have any kind of connection to being socialized as a white woman, a white girl, you're welcome in this space. And what we do in the workshop is we talk about a little bit of history of what does it mean to live at the receiving end of sexism and patriarchy. And then we get, we take our wounds from receiving sexism and receiving patriarchy and we turn around and we perpetrate racism. So we are, we're sort of in this stuck corner of receiving one form of oppression and then doling out another. And how do we recognize that stuckness and shift it so that we can operate from a place of agency and power as white women and be more clear about what racial equity looks like in our lives, how we want to operate as aunties or mothers or teachers or social workers or um, nonprofit administrators or foundation people. So there's all kinds of folks in the class, about 50, 50 white women. We come together once a week for five weeks. And it's an intense and beautiful, supportive space to do your work. Wow, that is absolutely amazing and incredible. And I would I want to say that there there's so much um, incredible gifting when we're willing to do this type of looking within. And and I believe again and again. Um, I've seen it with my clients in my own life when we have the courage to do what I would call inner work um, and really confront ourselves, uh, how that deepens us and takes us into our authenticity and allows us then to give back, you know, in solidarity with the world. And you, I'm telling you, dear woman, that is what you are doing so grateful for your spirit. Mm-hmm. I see from the gorgeous Cindy Bolero that our time is such that we need to begin to close. But I want to give you an opportunity. Is there anything else on your heart that you'd like to, to speak before we end today? Well, I definitely want to say www.wearefindingfreedom.org. <laughs> I didn't say that before. So there's information about the course and myself and Carrie Points at our website, which is www.wearefindingfreedom.org. And I want to say that I believe 
be feeling isolated, feeling like the only person is the is one of the ways that white supremacy whispers in our ear. You're all alone. You're the only one who cares. No one else is going to be able to help you with this. That's a that's a myth that's being whispered in our ears by white supremacy culture. And reaching out for other white people and saying, hey, I care about race and racism is a really important way to break that whisper in your ear, to like turn it off, shut it down. And taking this class is one way, but there's lots of reading groups. There's lots of other ways of building community. And I just want for white people who are listening to know that it's much, much easier to do this hard work if you have a buddy, if you're not working on it by yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Amen to that. Absolutely. And facing something that has seemed so taboo in white culture, you are bringing so much, um, um, you know, so much gifting. So when does this, when does the next round of your Finding Freedom Workshop begin? It's June 16th is the, is the first day and it'll go for five weeks, um, Tuesdays from 1230 to three or Wednesdays from 1230 to three. So starting on June 16th, there are scholarships available. Um, there's three different ticket prices and there's also full scholarship. If anybody who wants one, go to the website, click, you know, click in there, look at, look at the description of the course. Um, and we're, this is the first time we're offering it during the day. We've done it for four or five years at night, but we decided to shift things up a little bit and offer some daytime hours. Well, that's amazing. And obviously all of this is online. Um, so people can participate from all over, which is such an incredible gift and blessing. Well, I want to say from my heart to your heart, thank you for the work that you're doing and, and for um, that, you know, that bursting love spirit that you bring to the world and your, and your huge passion around uh, racial and gender justice. And, and really, I have to say one more thing, and that is I'm, I'm so grateful that you chose to answer the call around your own heartbreak and the way life has sculpted you um, and how you have just gone for it. I mean, it's, it's, mm. it's gorgeous to see, and your work is so needed and so necessary, and may, um, may you and yours just flourish like crazy, lady. Thank you. I have really enjoyed the, the questions that you've asked. It's been a really beautiful connection, and I look forward to staying in community. And um, I, I, it's actually uh, motivated me to build, think about building something into the course that, that comes at grief more head-on. So awesome. I really appreciate that. And um, thank you so much for, for the space. Yes, yes. Well, that makes my heart so happy. And I, um, I want to say... You all, if you want to find me, you can find me at mandybird.com. You can find me on Instagram at Counselor Mandy and on my business Facebook at Mandy Bird. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time on Finding Hope. Finding Hope.